for whatever reason, they believe in you and keep checking in on you and calling you and texting you and saying, hey, let's do lunch and how have you been lately? And, and you're just not sure why, but they do it and there's nothing in it for them, but you can't figure it out until finally you realize they love you. <laughs> that's, uh, that's how I feel about Bob. He's one of them pastors that has zero competitive spirit when it comes to the church of Jesus locally. 100% he believes that when the tide rises, all the ships rise with it. All right, so if you increase the water level at one church, you increase it at your own. If this church has breakthrough, has a great preacher, worship leader, or a great outreach, or good families, or healthy culture, or in touch with the spirit, that's good for everyone. So you always want to celebrate what you find. That's what he's modeled. So he's a friend to churches and a friend to pastors, and he's my friend. So some people would say that's the apostolic gift. Something to think about. Go ahead and give a standard gateway welcome to Bob Muncie. How's that for an introduction? Wow, that's, uh, that's, that's amazing. I like that. You get to... One of the things I've discovered about um, electronics is uh, I just, I can't trust them, and I haven't decided whether that's my problem or their problem. <laughs> but it's a problem nonetheless. Uh, just when I think I have it all worked out, they do something that I was not anticipating. But anyway, it's great to be back with you guys. I mean, it's been, uh, like Linda asked me, I think it's been, what, two, two years plus since I've been here? I don't even, I don't even remember. But it's been a while. But it's good to be back. And Tim is a good friend of mine. I, I have the privilege in life to be able to travel, to meet different people, and to, to see different things, not only in the US, but around the globe. And in, and in that, what I've discovered is the Lord sets in my path, and he sets in your path treasures that are designed by him to increase your life. And the joy of life for me is discovering those treasures and then opening my heart to them. And Tim is one of those treasures from the first time I met him. And I love getting together with him and just hanging out. And um, one of the things that I appreciate, appreciate about Tim is he just challenges my thinking. I don't know if you all have that problem with him or not. It's a problem I have in a very good way. <laughs> he Got him. Oh. Are these for the guest speaker or is this somebody's stash that I just not? <laughs> I just happened to look down and went, ah. It's been there a while. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Lovely. So that means that the shell on the outside is real crunchy. Um, yeah, so it's great to be back. It's just good to see many new faces since the last time I was here. This is just excites me. It's just neat to see what I'm seeing this morning, which is you. It uh, really does fill my heart with joy. I want to um, I, I 
explore with you something that I've been working on for a while now. We're going to be in Matthew, the fifth chapter. And uh, this, of course, is the Beatitudes. And most of us are familiar with the Beatitudes at some level. I find it's always interesting to me that there are certain things about the Bible that people that know nothing about the Bible and have never read the Bible know about the Bible. And the Beatitudes are one of those. Now, some stuff they think they know about the Bible isn't even correct, but they think it is anyway, and other stuff is. And so uh, I want to explore something. We're going to be in the first... Um, uh, where are we going to start? I think we're going to start with the third verse. But I, I want to kind of set the stage a little bit. When Sometimes when we hear the Beatitudes, we think of them as if they're, they're these isolated snippets that Jesus, like sitting on a hill somewhere, would just made all these one-liners. Or in some cases, he grouped them together into a particular topic, but even that was a one-liner and that they're not really connected. He just was kind of throwing out some ideas. I don't think that's the right way to look at this. I never, in anything that I've read through the Gospels, I don't think Jesus is one that just throws things out there. Everything he sends out has a target, and he has an intention with what he says. And I think that these words are, are, are the same. They're not just, well, blessed and blessed and blessed. He's actually building something. And I want to explore with us this morning that building. But I want to start with one of my favorite passages, and that's in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel glimpsed something and spoke it and we are living it. This is, we are in the kingdom of God, and it is expanding, and it will not be destroyed. And I was sensing, I wasn't sure whether, where to put this in, but I think maybe this is the right spot. During worship, I was sensing a word for this church, Tim, for you in particular, but for this church at large. And that is, the Lord is saying that what he's doing now is new, and it's going to have an effect and it won't have an end. There are those that have spoken over you and spoken towards you that the best is over. And the Lord says, that's not true. I will build what I choose to build, says the Lord. Let me have my way. Let my hand be upon you. And I will bring forth the treasures that I have designed to be brought forth from this location. And I, I, I won't put a thus saith the Lord behind this, but I, 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 I think it does represent his heart. As the Lord is doing the new thing with you and things are beginning to open up, please keep your heart positioned 
that when blessing comes, blessing doesn't come as a justification to those who have criticized. Blessing comes because he loves you. Don't ever make the provision of God something where, see, I told you. Always just receive it and say, yes, Father, I'm thankful. So you guys can do with that what you want. So here we are. We're, we're at this place where Daniel says, I see this one like the Son of Man, and he's been brought before the Ancient of Days, and now the Ancient of Days has now given him dominion and established a kingdom through him that will have no end. And of course, we know that that's a prophetic word speaking of the Christ, and we know now that we are part of that because we are part of the Christ. We have been brought in, we have been enfolded in him, and now we are part of what Daniel had to say. So this, all that the Beatitudes are speaking of, all that the New Testament is speaking of, is this kingdom that has now come through the Christ and its goal and intention in the Father's heart is to expand that so that every nation, every tribe, every kindred, whatever the, 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 the group that gets broken down, the culture of that group is all going to become under the reign of Christ. And that's an ongoing work. I mean, we've, the, the kingdom has been expanding for, what, 2,000 years. How long is that going to go on? I don't know. All I know is if I get up today and I'm still breathing, my job is advance the kingdom. You know, people say, well, I don't know what the will of God is. I just, oh, the will of God is so hard to find. No, it's not. Don't make it hard. It's really simple. My application of it might get complicated, but the mission, the call, the call is simple. When I get up in the morning, just image Jesus. To everybody I'm going to come in contact with today, if they've come in contact with me, I want to live in such a way that they've come in contact with Jesus. Amen. Me too. That's just how I try to do it. I, I want to be at that place where, um, and, it, and when I say that, I, I, was, I, was, uh, I began my journey in Christ in a Baptist church a charismatic Baptist church. And of course there, the, the big issue that we were all schooled in was leading people to Jesus. So the, the, I started in an environment where if I'm gonna do something for somebody or offer something to somebody or say something to somebody, it had to lead to them being converted right then or their blood was on my hands. Anybody else been in that world? Thank you, Jesus. Their blood is not on my hands. His blood is on them. All I'm supposed to do is just be what God has called me to be and reflect that to the people around me. And then Holy Spirit takes that and, and moves that into the person's heart and then begins to draw them to himself, which is what he's trying to do. So they will be reconciled. So, um, so as we look at these Beatitudes, I'm, I'm already off on rabbit trails. Um, this word blessed, and I want to use, uh, well, let me just jump ahead. 
The word blessed or happy does not convey the fuller meaning of the word in the Greek. The better translation is wealthy is the man. And wealth, when we talk about wealth and we talk about biblical wealth, wealth is not how much money I have in my pocket or in my bank account. That's a piece of biblical wealth. But biblical wealth is the full sphere of influence that I have, that I have stewardship over which crosses everything that my life gets involved with. So I can, I can very confidently stand in front of you and go, I am a wealthy man. Because my wealth is way beyond my bank account. So when, when Jesus is saying blessed, he's all, and it's better saying wealthy is the person. So I, I start to realize that full sphere of my influence, my family, my relationship, my possessions, my identity, these are all elements of my wealth. Proverbs 14, 24 says, the true worth of the wise is the wealth that wisdom imparts. But the way of the life for the fool is his foolishness. So again, this idea of being wealthy, I'm gonna steward the wealth that I have. So Jesus starts now in, in Matthew 5, verse three. Blessed or wealthy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and you should pair, I, let me do a little more explanation. I, 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 when I look at these verses that we're going to look at, I do not see these, one, as isolated comments. I do see them as a connected progression that all of us are invited to come on on our journey into the fullness of Christ. Verse 3 represents the starting point. As we move through, we're moving towards a, a a progression of maturity in the kingdom that Jesus is laying out and saying this should be what's in all of our lives. So this first one, we're starting at the beginning. We're starting where we come in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Adam Clark says this, which I, I like his definition. The person whom Christ terms happy is the one who is not under the influence of fate or chance, but is governed by the all-wise providence, having every step directed to the attainment of immortal glory, being transformed by the power into the likeness of the ever-blessed God. Though some of the persons whose states are mentioned in these verses cannot be said to be yet at, the at blessed or happy in being made a partaker of the divine nature, yet they are termed happy by our Lord, because they are on the straight way to his blessedness. So when I come into the kingdom, I start at this point where I realize I'm just poor in spirit. I don't, I don't have what it takes. I have, I have mindsets that I'm living by that aren't doing me well. As we read in Proverbs, the, the way of the fool is his foolishness, which just means you get trapped in things and you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result, but it doesn't give us a different result. Most of us, when we get into those grooves, they take us even further into the problem that we're actually trying to escape out of. And I build a mindset that says, 
I have to be strong to get out of this. I have to do this, or I have to do that. Or if only I had done this, or if only I had done that, it would all be different. Poor of spirit is where I finally come to that place where I can say, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I don't know how to get out of this corner. I, years ago, after going through a, a really dark time in, in my personal life, I found myself going, Jesus, I am just stuck in this corner, and I don't know how to get out. I seem to take one step back, but the next step, I'm right in this corner again. I don't know how to get out. And that's the beginning of being poor at spirit. Because the minute I'm able to finally say, I don't know how to, he steps forward and says, but I do. I do. And just, and his, his way of dealing with us is, I mean, it's so gentle. It's, he just amazes me, the love that he puts towards each of us. But when he comes to us, he doesn't come and yell at us for being stuck in the corner. He just comes and takes our hand and just walks us out. And, and still, even in that moment, most of us are going, I don't know. I don't even know what's happening right now. Something seems to have taken control of my life that's beyond me. And I don't know where it came from. I don't know where it's taking me. But yet we willingly just walk. And when we just willingly walk, we walk right into the heart of the Father. Because his heart is to reconcile all of us back to himself. That we have right relationship with him. And please, please, don't, don't take being reconciled to God and weave it into a moral code. It has a moral element. But being reconciled to God isn't being reconciled to a moral code. It's being re reconciled to the heart of the Father who so loves us that he has given us everything that's needed for life and fullness to experience his love and to ultimately be found complete in him. Amen. But it begins where I'm poor in spirit. And when I'm poor in spirit, I now start to experience the first steps of wealth. I now have something that I did not possess before. And it's been freely given to me. And it won't be taken away. The important thing for me when, when we begin to see that we're poor in spirit, it also introduces us into this term, which I've, over the last years, I've really come to appreciate, the providence of God. Providence is, some of, some of us have been raised in cultures or might even still hold this as a, as a belief that um, God is sovereign and therefore in his sovereignty, everything that happens in my life is his design and his will. I fundamentally disagree with that. I don't think the scriptures teach that. What I do think is providence, which the scriptures do talk about, providence is where a benevolent benefactor sets something in front of the one who they are benefacting 
so that that one not only can find it, but the benefactor positions life to make sure you find it. So I've said a lot of times, you know, we, we drive down a road and there's stop signs, there's curve signs, there's yield signs. Those are kind of like they've been set out by a benefactor. In this case, the state of Delaware, the highway department going, don't drive 80 miles an hour on this 90 degree turn. It's, does, nobody has done it yet. So they put a sign up, curve ahead, speed limit, 35 miles an hour, because they want you to get around the curve. That's, a, that's a, how a benefactor works. I've, with me, said, I, I'm a little slower to catch all this stuff. So I think the Lord has tried just regular highway signs for me, stop, turn left, turn right, that kind of stuff. It hasn't always worked well in my life, so for me, he puts up signs like you have right down the road at the bridge. I need a barrier across the road that says, boy, you ain't going that way. <laughs> and even that, he has to put lights on it. Bloop, 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 go that way. I, I just need that. But he's my benefactor. He has provided providence for me so that in my life, each step that I'm taking, I'm confident that he will show me as things move forward what I should do. He's not in control of my life as like he's got his hand on my head moving me through. He's not in control, but he does provide the path. And as Proverbs says, he starts to align my feet to his path. And the further I walk with him, the more I trust the fact that he when he aligns my feet, if I just say yes and go, it'll work out all right. Even though at the beginning of some of those walks, I'm going, man, I don't know about this. I just don't see how this is going to work out. But it does. It does. Um, and the song that, that the worship team was singing today, uh, like, you just can't tell me. Don't tell me that it can't happen. Just don't even go down that road. I, I'm... Uh, October of this year, I will be a Christ follower for 50 years. So you can't tell me. I have seen the most amazing things in my lifetime that I've watched Jesus do in my life, in other people's lives. I've been, I've been in the highest of places. I've been in the lowest of places. He's been there with me in both places, and his providence is still with me to the point that you can't... You, I, I was talking with someone just the other day, and they're kind of going through all this stuff, and they're analyzing, in my opinion, way too much. And they've got themselves into a spot where, well, I don't know about the Bible, and I don't know about Jesus, and da 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 They're going through all that stuff. And they're like, well, this probably bothers you. I'm like, doesn't bother me. Well, I mean, I, I, this probably sounds like I'm really being critical of your faith. I'm like, you ain't criticizing my faith. Like, well, I, I, be just, I, you know, I, just, I, don't, I don't want you to get mad. I'm like, do I look mad? They're like, well, no. I said, because I'm not mad. I said, I don't, you, you can take yourself into the world of doubt as much as you want. Your doubt is not my doubt. Amen. I know what I know. It's been proven be, to me beyond anything in any way. Do I understand everything in the Bible? Nope. Can I win every argument theologically? 
Nope. Do I know what I'm doing all the time? Definitely nope. But what I do know is the one that I met on an October night standing alongside my car in Wilmington, Delaware, has become a relationship that's beyond any relationship I've ever had. I wish this person wasn't in their place of doubt, but I also trust Holy Spirit that he knows where they are. So my job was not to yell at them. My job was just to love them and give them space and give Holy Spirit space, right? So this idea of providence. So when I'm poor in spirit, I, I'm now experiencing for the first time Oh, God's providence. He actually is working for me. He actually has positioned things for me. He actually has plans for me. He has plans for what he wants to do through me. He has plans to reveal himself in me and through me to others. And he's just going to work all this out. And I don't have to get up every day going, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. I hope I don't lose my salvation today. I hope today's not the day that it happens. Um, I, you know. Did I, did I read the Bible for exactly 10 minutes? No, I think it was only nine and a half minutes. Today's not going to be a good day. You know? Or we get into the thing where you, know, you go out and you turn the key and the car breaks down and it's like, oh my goodness, you know, I must have done something wrong. God's punishing me. No, you shouldn't have bought that car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of other things, other factors there. It's not God going, this is it. I'm blowing up the car today. <laughs> Done with that kid. <laughs> so, that, so I start from that position. I'm poor in spirit, and I realize now that God has brought me in, and now I'm beginning to come into this relationship. That's my first entry in. The next one, blessed or wealthy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There's a, there's a concept that I, um, it amazes me that, it, that it, in some circles in the church, it's still very, very strong. But we, we get this, there's this idea that if I am spiritual enough, I'm walking close enough to God that everything is going to work out and I'm not going to have any misfortune, I'm not going to have any pain, I'm not going to have any sorrow, everything I touch is going to go, out, go right because I have enough faith, I have the right confession, I know the right verses, or whatever we put to that. In my view, that's nonsense. Where we're at is we are people who have been redeemed by God, who live in a world and a, that has effect on us on a regular basis. And it's not that somehow the goal is to get above all that so none of that affects us. The goal is, how do I walk as a Christ imager in the midst of whatever is coming at me through life and maintain my heart towards him so it remains open and unoffended? I haven't figured that one out completely yet. Uh, I still have to deal with my heart and my offenses. But I do know that that's where the Lord is taking us, to be at this place that I can be so imaging Jesus to the people around me 
that regardless of what's going on in my life right now, I know his faithfulness and my heart stays open to him. So um, in that, one of the things that I find that's kind of, again, one of these things I see on a pretty regular basis is we, we as a society have become, um, what would be the right word? Well, we as a society have a way of working hard to hide death. Amen. Um, not to spend a lot of time on this topic, but if you just go and look at the history of funerals and how they've changed, we're, we are now at this place that we're trying to keep the grieving process to a minimum. We, we would prefer to get the funeral over and the person in the ground in a day throw the flowers on the grave, have dinner, and now let's move on. Where, where, where are you guys going on vacation? Oh my gosh, yeah. Where in times past, the grieving process, the letting go of a loved one, was a, a, long, well, a longer drawn out event. And when we, there was, an, there was a reason for that. There were things accomplished with that. Mourning has its place. Mourning needs to be allowed to have its full process. When we lost our daughter some years ago, I had people, I was at a meeting like one year after her death, and we were coming up on her birthday, and I had said to this, and these are all pastors. So I'm sitting at this table of pastors. I said, I really would appreciate prayer. We're coming up on Jen's uh, birthday. This is her first birthday since she passed, and I'm not really doing good right now. And one of the men sitting at the table said to me, oh, really? I mean, it's been a year. I kind of thought you'd be over that by now. To which I was ready to flip the table over and go, I'll show you what I'm ready to be over. I, I can clean this up real quick. I didn't on the outside. I did on the inside. And it's like, no. Grieve, the grieving process, we, the, the reason why scripture says there's a time for mourning is because there literally is a time for mourning. And when we shorten that time and don't do the full work of our heart that mourning is designed to, to accomplish, we then carry things on in life that we were supposed to leave, but we never let go. And they'll hold us captive. And I know people that have been almost paralyzed by the death of a close one. And they never got over it. It still holds them captive. That's not how mourning is supposed to take place. So I think that there is this place where Jesus is saying, look, blessed or wealthier are you when you mourn because you're going to be comforted. I need to mourn until I experience the comfort. If I shut off the morning, I miss the comforting. Amen. And if I miss how God comforts me, I've now limited myself to how I can comfort you in your time of mourning. I've learned enough that I don't make stupid statements that go, I thought you would have been over that by now. That clearly is someone that has no grid for mourning. But, it, but if we're supposed to be able to comfort and be a comfort to those, which is what the kingdom is about, then I, I can only give away what I've got. 
And so if I cut off mourning before I've learned the comfort, I am now limited to how I can comfort somebody else. So I've missed a step in my growth and maturing in Christ that I should have and I don't have because we hurried up and just got the whole thing over with because it's uncomfortable. Yes, death is uncomfortable. Death is painful. Death causes things in us to rise up that maybe we didn't even know was there. Well, when that stuff comes up, blessed are you that mourn because you'll be comforted. That is part of the comforting process. The discovery of things that God wants to deal with in my heart and your heart. And now that we're in this process, he brings them to light so he can deal with them, so we can be free. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, please, as we're going through this, let's just, I mean, um, first, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then we'll be comforted. Now we're going to inherit the earth. I really believe Jesus is laying something out. We don't inherit the earth right when we come in as poor in spirit because we've not matured enough to actually steward it because his goal is whatever we inherit, it, we're able to steward so that nothing's lost. So, blessed are the meek, for they all inherit the earth. Meekness means mild-tempered, soft, gentle, not easily provoked or irritated, yielding, given to forbearance under injuries. One of the benefits of mourning is it opens my heart to meekness. When you've worked through the places of mourning. And mourning, I, I know we all know this, but mourning isn't only just the death of a loved one. Mourning is the death of anything yes. that, we've, that has been part of our life that is suddenly and traumatically taken away. I don't know about you, but I, over the years, I have mourned the loss of friendships probably more than I've mourned anything in my life. And to me, having gone through both the death of a loved one and the loss of a close friend, I, I can't tell you the difference between those two mornings. They yes. both hurt like the Dickens. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Sometimes I think it's easier with the death of a loved one because I don't have to worry about seeing them in Walmart. The friendship that just blew up, I seem to find them all over town. And in the history of our church and me as a pastor, we've had some not so good events. And I still to this day, thankfully it's down to, I think we've whittled it down to two, but I have two people who if I see them in a store or they see me before I see them, I won't see them. And if I see them when they see me, they forgot something on the aisle that's the opposite direction from me. <laughs> I don't know about you, that's painful to me. I mean, if somebody can't walk up to me and just look me in the face because of something that they're holding and it's something that I played a part in creating, that's painful for me. But meekness brings us to this place. I realize I can be mild of temper, soft, gentle, not easily provoked or irritated, yielding, given to forbearance under injuries. When, I've, when I start to understand the depth and experience the pain of loss, of mourning, 
It puts me in a different place. It positions my heart differently to walk in meekness. Because now my, my attention shifts from me to them. And I want to understand them. I want to be open to them. I want to make sure that what I do is not harming them. Amen. Even at the, if only the best I can hope for is for it to be neutral, I'll take that over harming them. <clears throat> when we start to come to that place of meekness, now the Father can start to release the earth to us. And his providence is to release the earth to us. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. One of the things that for those that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, because we've already worked through and have, have the, in our maturing process, we've, we've come to this place of at least understanding meekness and being able to cooperate with it. We're at this place where we're not easily provoked to anger. We probably all know people, you know, who, that, that the expression, at least in my family as I was growing up, was, yeah, well, you know, you got to be careful of your uncle. He's got a short fuse. Which just meant he'd snap in a heartbeat, man. You didn't never know where he, what was going to tick him off. But you know, and as a kid, we always seemed to find the thing that ticked him off. <laughs> I was pretty sure it was just me. It what it did. It just transcended what I said, what I did. It was just me. When I came into the room, he went off. So we're not easily provoked to anger. We're, there's something different in our heart that's shifted. We patiently bear and put up with injuries and affronts. I start to no longer looking, I'm not looking for how do I get to hold an offense against somebody. I'm looking at how, am I, how can I not be offended regardless of what they say, regardless of what they do. That's right. That my heart does not take that in and build an offense. That's easier said than done. It is doable because the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us is to conform our image to the Lord. I never did pay attention to the time, so if I run over, somebody give me one of these and I'll talk for another hour. Um, huh? Okay, we can do that. Um, so when we, when we are hunger and thirst after righteousness, we will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. As I learn meekness and then I learn to be merciful, mercy comes back to me. It begins to be some, one of the attributes that I start experiencing on a regular basis. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As I've come through these first steps, then I come to this place. Now I'm actually seeing God. I see him in what's happening in my life. I see him in what I'm doing. My vision towards him now opens up, and I see God in more and more in his fullness, and I see him more and more in my everyday life. And I'm not, oh, God, where are you? I'm like, God, this is amazing. I'm so, 
You're here. I know your presence. I know your word. We then start to see God. And then finally, this piece, which is where I do want to land on. Nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Many of us, and or at least I'll speak for myself, when we started to discover, I started to discover that, oh, I'm actually a son of God, little s, but I'm a son of God. I've been brought in. I'm one of his. That um, we moved real quick to, yeah, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Yeah, and we really used that as, our, as a point of straightening out where our heart was, except that the way Jesus lays this out, you don't get to be a call it a son of God till you become a peacemaker. You don't become a peacemaker until you've worked through these other steps that we've already covered. Peacemakers is that place we arrive at. Why are we sons of God? Because he's sending us into all the earth to be peacemakers. That people will be reconciled to him, to God, and that people can be reconciled to each other. So we're peacemakers, we're reconcilers. Um, the peacemaker is the person who is endowed with this generous public spirit. It's not, I just want to live in my house and be left alone. It's no, I want to be in the community. I want to be out, so I'm giving Jesus away every place I can go and just listening to your announcements today. You guys have got various things that you're doing. Those are all part of the peacemaker process. We're bringing justice into areas where justice needs to come. We're, we're revealing the Father to people who don't know him. We're giving people this opportunity to come to a place of peace. <clears throat> so instead of fanning the fires of strife, we use our influence and wisdom to reconcile contending parties. We, we, we get involved in stuff. I think if we could just get a lot of people to stop fanning the flames of strife, i.e. Facebook, we would be a lot further down the game or down the road than where we are right now. But I'm amazed at those that consider creating strife somehow doing God's will. So as peacemakers, we're extending the dominion. Uh, the earth is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. The earth is groaning for the peacemakers to come forth. And if the earth is groaning, then we actually have a ministry to the earth. I don't put it at the same level as the ministry we have to people, but we actually have a ministry to the earth as well. And then this final piece, which comes after being a peacemaker, I, I, you know, people go, oh, man, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. It's so amazing. It's this, it's that. And then Jesus at the end said, well, there's a couple other things that happen after you become a peacemaker. You've matured. You, you've added these things to your life. You've now, you're trustworthy to, to release the earth into your hands. You're a peacemaker and so forth. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds 
of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Yay, I'm a son of God. Great. Don't complain when you get persecuted. It's what happens to sons. It's what happens to daughters. You're representing the father. You're representing his kingdom. And in case you haven't figured it out, his kingdom is really about changing the existing kingdom that's controlling the earth. And that kingdom doesn't want to change. And it doesn't want to relinquish power. And those that move forward advancing the kingdom of love will come in contact with those that are advancing the kingdom of hate. And there will be persecution. But he says, rejoice. Just rejoice. Keep going. Keep loving. Keep doing what I've told you to do. Draw closer to me because I've set providence before you. I have it. I've got you. I'm going to get you there. Amen. So with that, I think I landed a plane. So... Yeah, I think that's all I have to say. I say good. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it back over to you there, Pastor Tim, or whoever. That was really good. Yeah. It was interesting because on, well, almost every morning, but especially on Sunday mornings, I'm just like, Holy Spirit, what is your, what's your heart? Like, what's on your mind? And I had just actually hung up because my brother's in the hospital and not doing well, and, and he's been talking to me about grief. And, um, you know, something that you really, wow. Like, I don't know if this helped you guys as much as it helped me, but how do you progress through all, if you get stuck anywhere, you can't move on. What were you saying, Bob, that if we, the spirit of grief can keep us from moving forward then we can't experience meekness. Now we might have like situations where we, you know, show meekness, but it's not necessarily a way of life. And I was an ICU nurse, you guys, for 25 years. And my entry into the ICU was, you can't ever let them see. You have to be strong for this family. They're going through the worst time they've ever gone through. So you can't break down do it later, but you cannot do it on your 12-hour shift. <laughs> well, after a while, your 12-hour shifts just run into, it's every day, you know, that you don't let anyone see that you're hurting. And after a while, you just don't even hurt. How many of us are sitting here today? I don't think it's just me that you've been hurt so much over the years it's just been easier and a whole lot less scary to just hold on to it and press it down. And if you're like me, <laughs> that hasn't worked out real well. It, it will affect your health. It'll affect your relationships. There's no area in your life that it won't affect. So if it, if it has done that, if the prayer team could come up, this is your opportunity to just start that healing process 
And if you've been holding on to stuff and you're just like, I got this, I can guarantee you, you don't. You don't. Please listen to wisdom. <laughs> it, it will catch up. And like Bob said, it's not just necessarily death, loss of friendships, maybe a parent-child relationship or a spouse. It can be anything, you guys. Anything that is a loss to you is a loss. You don't have to explain it to anybody. Somebody doesn't have to understand it. It's your loss. Please come forward and get prayer. And when you're ready to leave, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may his face just shine incredibly upon you because his grace is for you. Thank God for grace. In Jesus' name, amen.